This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to VOA Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Here's what's coming up on African News Tonight. And of course, it is going to be unarmed state. And this is a new vision from the American. And we are Egyptian or the Arab side. We are happy about that. That's General Samir Farag, a former assistant to the Egyptian's defense minister on the possibility of a two-state solution to resolve the Israeli-Hamas conflict. Details coming up also. Fifteen candidates in Senegal's delayed presidential election say they will try to ensure a new poll date swiftly as possible. And Zimbabwe has started a polio vaccination campaign targeting 4.2 million children. These stories and more on African News Tonight. We start with our top story. The United States has reiterated the need for a quick return to constitutional order in Gabon six months after an August 30 coup, but says economic and diplomatic relations will be reinforced despite sanctions imposed on the coup leaders. A delegation to the Central African state led by the U.S. ambassador to Gabon met military ruler General Brice Clotaire Olig Nguema yesterday, who asked for U.S. sanctions to be lifted. Moki Edwin Kindeka reports from neighboring Cameroon. Gabon officials say military ruler General Brice Clotaire Oligin Gema received a United States delegation led by Vernel Trim Fitzpatrick. Fitzpatrick has been United States ambassador to the Central African states for about a month. Fitzpatrick says her delegation examined the state of relations between Gabon and the United States with Ngema. She says the United States government finds it important to discuss strengthening trade and commercial relations with Gabon officials to have the support of the U.S. Congress in fostering ties with the Central African state. She says the United States thinks it is necessary to discuss existing business opportunities with all trade partners in Gabon. Fritz Patrick spoke on Gabon's state television. She said besides increasing business ties, the United States will assist Gabon's transition to civilian rule, but did not say how. Gabon's military, led by Ngema, ousted President Ali Bongo on Zimba in an August 30, 2023 bloodless coup. The military said Bongo reached Gabon's August 26 election to retain power and ruined the Central African state economy. After the coup, Washington suspended most non-humanitarian aid and asked for a quick return to constitutional order in Gabon. Nembe Patrick is an economic advisor at Alternance 2023, a group of opposition parties created in 2022 to fight for political change in Gabon. He says the U.S. delegation is one of many to be received by Ngema after those of the Commonwealth, the African Union, and the United Nations. Nembe says he is certain both delegations found out that though Gabon is free from Ali Bongo's rule, civilians want Gema 
to organize elections and hand power to people elected democratically to develop Gabon as civilians yearn for. Members said economic ties with the U.S. will be beneficial to Gabon. He said Gabon needs the U.S. market to sell manganese and petroleum products and develop its economy. Gabon's military leaders said elections would be held in August 2025 after an inclusive national dialogue in April of this year. Nembe said Ngema should respect the date he has set for the elections, adding that his wish is for America to advise Ngema not to be a candidate. The U.S. established diplomatic relations with Gabon in 1960 following Gabon's independence from France. The U.S. Department of State says Gabon and the U.S. share a commitment to diversify and strengthen Gabon's economy, expand bilateral trade, ensure security in the Gulf of Guinea, and combat wildlife trafficking. Moki Edwin Kinzaka, VOA News, Yawundi, Cameroon. Fifteen candidates in Senegal's delayed presidential election have accused President Macky Sall of ill will and say they will take action to ensure a new poll date swiftly established. The announcement came as the civil society collective Our Sunu Election, or Protect Our Election, said it had organized a new rally for Saturday. The French news agency AFP says the collective is calling for the election originally scheduled for February the 25th to be held before April 2nd when Saad's term officially expires. Last week, Senegal's Constitutional Council overturned the vote delay and called on the president to organize the poll as soon as possible. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa has announced the country will hold national elections May 29th as polls show the ruling African National Congress could lose its majority for the first time since it came to power with the fall of apartheid 30 years ago. Africa's most developed economy faces a myriad of problems under the ANC. They include record unemployment and an electricity crisis that led to crippling blackout for homes and businesses and widespread voter mistrust following a stream of corruption allegations over the years. Several polls predict that the party once widely admired across the world and led by Nelson Mandela will slip below 50% of the vote for the first time since the end of apartheid in 1994. International News Media Report Explosions today near the southern Gaza city of Rafah. Israel's government is facing growing international pressure to agree to a ceasefire in its war against Hamas and to halt its advance towards Rafah. About 1.4 million Palestinians are sheltering there after fighting forced them from their homes in northern Gaza. Alleging that Hamas fighters and its leaders are hiding in Rafah, Israeli officials have pushed back on calls to slow the offensive to protect civilians even from its leading ally, the United States. Israeli's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on Saturday struck a defiant note in a news conference. Mr. Rotzel, I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm going to be able to do this. 
Speaking in Hebrew, Netanyahu says those who want to keep Israel from entering Rafah are telling Israel to lose the war. He says he will not take part in that. He says the Israeli operations in Gaza have allowed unprecedented action against Hamas. He says the government will not give in to pressure. Rafa sits on the Gaza border with Egypt, and the Cairo government has expressed concerns about Israel's plans for an assault on the city, especially as it could interfere with ceasefire negotiations. VOA senior analyst Mohamed El-Shanawi spoke with General Samir Farag, former assistant to the Egyptian defense minister, about Egypt's concerns. He says... Some Egyptian officials could see an assault on Rafah as undermining the peace treaty between Israel and Egypt. Uh, Egypt is not in favor or they don't uh, agree about uh, the uh, attacking from the Israeli side to Rafah. It would be a disaster. Rafah now, they have about 1.5 million Palestinian people in Rafah in about 60 kilometers in that area. So it is a very crowded area by civilian people. Most of them, they don't have shelters, they don't have houses, they are in the street, in some tent. They came from the north of Gaza. So we are in Egypt. We didn't accept that at all. Farag also said that if Israel forces enter what is known as the Philadelphia Corridor, a buffer zone between Gaza and Egypt, Egyptian officials could consider that a violation of the 1979 treaty. However, he said Egypt does not expect Israel to push into the buffer zone because of potential consequences. On Tuesday, the United States vetoed a United Nations Security Council resolution calling for an immediate, unconditional ceasefire. U.S. officials have said an unconditional ceasefire would not free the scores of Israeli hostages trapped in Gaza and would not bring about a durable peace. For weeks, the United States, Egypt, Qatar, and Israel have been involved in delicate negotiations aimed at the release of all hostages and an extended pause in the fighting. General Farag said many officials in Egypt see hope in the talks, especially since he said the United States is pushing the idea of a sovereign Palestinian state. I think the, the American side, I think they are correct that once we stop fighting uh, between the Israelis and Hamas in Gaza, it means it gives us the way to move. But the point is the American, for the first time, they said we accept and we will approve and we will accept the new Palestine state in West Bank of Jordan and in Gaza Strip. And of course, it is going to be an armed state. And this is a new vision from the American and we are Egyptian or the Arab side. We are happy about that. But the point that Netanyahu is refusing that completely, he said we will never accept to establish a Palestinian state. But I think it is a golden opportunity for the Arab and the Palestinians to accept that. The Hamas-run Gaza Health Ministry says nearly 30,000 people have died in the Israeli assault on Gaza, which began after Hamas militants attacked Israeli communities in October. The militants killed about 1,200 people in Israel and took more than 240 hostages, scores of whom remain in captivity. 
You're listening to Africa News Tonight on The Voice of America. Zimbabwe's health ministry, in collaboration with partners and stakeholders, kicked off a four-day nationwide vaccination campaign today, targeting 4.0 million on age of 10 for inoculation against a variant of polio that was recently detected in the country. Reporter Kudzanai Msenge has more from Bulawayo, Zimbabwe. The vaccination campaign follows an announcement by Zimbabwe's health ministry last week that it had detected the circulating vaccine-derived polio, also known as type 2 polio, after an environmental surveillance earlier this year. It also documented one case in a rural district in the country's Mashonal and West province. In Mulawayo, the country's second biggest city, Stolake Lehove, the council's chief nursing officer, tells VOA confirming the presence of the virus and the occurrence of the single case in the rural area necessitated the nationwide vaccination. This one case in a country becomes an emergency and uh, that's why the whole country is vaccinating all children under the age of 10 years with the novel oral polio vaccination. We shall be in the schools, in the communities, door to door, in all the municipal clinics, will be in all the three central hospitals and some selected private players will also be vaccinating. According to the health ministry, prior to the most recent case, the last recorded case in the country was in 1989. Zimbabwe was declared polio-free in 2005, but the country remains at risk because of the occurrence of cases in other countries, including neighboring Botswana and Zambia. Zimbabwe is also battling a cholera outbreak and is in the middle of another vaccination program against that disease. As the public concerns and likely resistance by some to the various inoculation initiatives, Health Director Dr. Edwin Spandamzingwane said people must understand that viruses continue to change. We all remember during COVID-19 how many types were mentioned they were men. So as the organisms are actually mutating, we have to constantly develop and find new vaccines, even against the same diseases. Other countries in the region, including Botswana, Democratic Republic of Congo, Malawi, and Zambia, have also had polio outbreaks. Dr. Simbisoranga, a United States-based Zimbabwean physician, says while the vaccination programs are welcome, Zimbabwe's cyclic economic troubles put citizens at increased risk of various diseases. Zimbabwe seems to be at a higher risk because a lot of the economic indicators are down, including hyperinflation. That means that families might find it difficult to make sure that children get access to vaccination campaigns. They may not have access to proper sanitary conditions, including clean water. So unfortunately, the way the economy is underperforming in Zimbabwe is a health risk for Zimbabwean citizens, especially children. According to the World Health Organization's Global Polio Eradication Initiative, the African region in August 2020 was declared to have interrupted transmission of the wild polio virus, which is the most common type of polio and the circulating vaccine-derived polio variants are now the only form that affects the region, with 17 countries having infections in the last six months.
Low immunization rates are the main cause. Polio, which is incurable, affects the central nervous system, causing paralysis or deformity of the limbs, but UNICEF says vaccines are readily available. Reporting for VOA from Lawayo, this is Kudzanai Musengi. In 2015, in the middle of a severe shortage of doctors in state hospitals, the South African government gave universities millions of rands to train more medical interns. The program was immensely successful. Within eight years, universities increased the number of junior doctors educated by 900. But almost 700 of these are now unemployed and the shortage of doctors in the public sector is more acute than ever. Darren Taylor reports. Dr. Matthew Lani graduated in 2022 but has been unable to find a post. His local hospital near Pretoria is so understaffed that it often doesn't have a single doctor on duty. Lani says he'd love to work there. Instead, he says he's rotting at home. He blames the government. It's corruption. Corruption because there's a healthy amount of medical students who are trained under bursaries. And they do that with the hopes of saying we'll retain you and we'll have employment and you'll serve the community. But increasingly we're seeing those bursaries that were, were given not retain students. They just say, you know what, fine, go away. You don't have to pay us back, but we don't have a job for you. We can't pay you. Reports by independent auditors allege corrupt health officials steal hundreds of millions of dollars a year. The national government, members of parliament and some academic studies have documented significant theft from public health facilities. Health Minister Joe Pachla tells VOA he's doing his best to clean things up, but has no control over provincial health departments where he says most of the corruption happens. He says there are many factors causing unemployment of doctors. The output in terms of training has been growing. And as it grows, we're supposed to meet that with proper financial allocation, which with the lack of growth in the economy and all that has not been adequate. But it then gets compounded in March last year, the unions and the government signed a 7.5% salary increase. So if you had a challenge in 2023, when you add 7.5% for those who are already in the system, it just stretches the pressure on the salary bill even higher. Unions point out the government would have enough money to employ 700 doctors if it didn't pay millions of dollars for the services of 200 doctors recruited from Cuba. Pahla says the decision to employ Cuban doctors is a foreign policy issue, so he cannot comment on it. The governing African National Congress maintains close ties with Cuba's Communist Party, and the island nation sends doctors to poor countries across the world in what it calls medical diplomacy. For several years, South Africa has brought in about 230 doctors from Cuba annually to work in rural areas, and then sends medical students to Cuba to train. Pretoria pays more than $20 million a year for the program. South Africa's International Relations Department sees it as a win-win situation between long-time allies. South African Medical Association Chairperson Dr. Mvuyisi Muzukwa says corruption and the controversy around Cuban doctors are just two reasons why the government cannot be trusted 
and show why its excuses for not hiring more South African doctors are hollow. The situation, Mzukwa says, is untenable and is depriving poor South Africans of the doctors they need. Out-of-work doctors complain the Cubans are taking jobs that should be theirs. The public sector is serving about 85% of the population. Are you neglecting your own public sector, sending these graduates to private sector and sending them to Canada and all these other places when actually they've been educated and trained using taxpayers' money in this country to serve the underprivileged and the indigent in this country? Mzukwa says millions of people in South Africa cannot get the health care they need because of the government's poor management. In response to such criticisms, Pahla acknowledges that the public health sector is in a difficult position. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. Egypt's ailing economy is getting a boost from its international partners. Anji Omar reports from Cairo. The Egyptian State Information Service says a loan which could reach up to 10 U.S. billion dollars is aimed at helping Egypt navigate the challenges from local and external factors such as the Israeli offensive on the Gaza Strip and tensions in the Red Sea which have battered revenues from the Suez Canal. High inflation has hurt many ordinary Egyptians. Ahmed Amin, a grocer, calls soaring commodity prices unbearable. <laughs> Everything is expensive and there's no selling or buying. The situation is so tight. As things are getting more and more expensive, what should they do? Should they sell products and lose money? The Egyptian government has been facing a significant financing gap of more than $8 US billion for the current fiscal year, with external debt rising by 5.1% during the fourth quarter of 2022. The Egyptian pound has been struggling against the US dollar, which has fed ongoing price hikes and has especially affected low and average income households. The initial deal between Egypt and IMF outlined a loan of $3 billion over 46 months. But the loan came with strings attached, including economic reforms such as devaluing the Egyptian pound and loosening state and military control over the economy. An IMF delegation led by Mission Chief for Egypt Ivana Vladakova-Holler has been in Cairo for talks regarding the first and second reviews of Egypt's reform program. It coincides with the release of a new report by the IMF's World Economic Outlook, which downgraded Egypt's real gross domestic product forecasts for the fiscal year 2023-2024. Ibrahim Awad, professor of economics at the American University in Cairo, explains the significance of the IMF agreement to Egypt's economic trajectory. Certainly such uh, support to the finances of Egypt uh, will be important and significant and may attract uh, other uh, forms of support from other from other sources it and this should help uh, egypt honor its uh, foreign exchange uh, commitment egypt has uh, to service a large debt a large um, foreign debt in foreign exchange and certainly it's in need of foreign exchange and such um, uh, an agreement um, 
While no public announcement has been made on the outcome of the IMF visit, reports have emerged about the United Arab Emirates reaching a deal with Egypt to purchase land in the Ras Al Hekma resort for $22 billion. Took over the potential deal has reportedly influenced the informal value of the US dollar. Awad says Egypt's priorities include stabilizing the economy, attracting foreign investment, and ensuring sustainable growth that set the stage for Egypt's economic future. Um, the steady uh, path uh, to growth and development uh, requires uh, expenditures on social policies. So education, healthcare, this is about building human resources, developing human resources so that they can carry out the functions necessary from the labor force in a developing uh, economy, in an economy. Uh, in a few words, um, there is a lot to be done. Egypt's success in implementing economic reforms and securing financial support will play a crucial role in its efforts to improve its fiscal health and achieve sustainable economic growth. Inji Omar for VOA News, Cairo. And with that, we wrap up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehia Suhib in Washington. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Baro, and our engineer, Rob McLean, thanks for choosing the Voice of America.